This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Leroy Butler, newly Hall of Famer, Class of 22. It is a touchdown for Leroy Butler. Holy cow, and the fumble recovery. And the Packers go up 20 to nothing. And you listen to Ira and Clark on the iTest for Two podcast. Well, yes, we are back from the summer vacation with the I Test for Two podcast. And Ira, we're here just in time. We have the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction this weekend for the class of 2022. Now, I thought I was going there. To be honest with you, I thought I was going there, but I can't. And you thought you might be there, but you won't. But guess who will? Yes, sir. That's our Hall of Fame producer, Mr. Ian Glendon, who has been chosen to answer any and all Rondé Barber questions that come up while he's there in Canton. <laughs> he, he should have plenty, don't you think, Ira? <laughs> He'll have a good time, Clark. We always enjoy going going up there. I always we enjoy do. it. Really sad to miss it. Ian, how long are you going to be there? Uh, over the, Just over the weekend. Going in Friday, going to be back home on Monday. What are you looking forward to most? Well, uh, just being in, in, you know, I've never been there. So just yeah. being around the environment and everything, um, it, it's going to... You have a press credential, don't you? I don't do, you I do, credential? yeah. So yeah, I'll so, be able so to... be in the press box. Yeah, I'll be able to experience it from that end and just kind of see the environment. And, you know, we've been fortunate enough to, to speak with many of the... Yeah. The, the candidates going in. So, you know, it's it'll, it'll be nice from that sense. Um, on a side note, though... Not Hall of Fame related. Um, I am interested and in looking forward to taking my tour of the Shawshank Prison, which is located about an hour from Canton. So, uh, a little side note. That's that 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 concludes my uh, weekend. Hopefully, you don't find any Hall of Famers there. I don't think you find any Browns bus there. Clark, our guest today might be going to Canton this weekend. Oh yeah, sure. We're going to ask him. Uh, that's Bill Kuharik who's coming up, but. Um, yeah, he might. He might be good. In fact, I would think he would, Eric, because he was in there on the ground floor in Philadelphia when uh, when Sam Mills, who's in the class of 2022, uh, joined the USFL. Um, in any case, Ian, you mentioned people who've been uh, or who are involved with the Hall of Fame. That would be Jim Porter, Rich DeRosier. Um, both of them have been involved with our broadcast. I think we've had Jim on three times. Yeah. Um, probably have him on pretty soon for a fourth. But please say hello to them for us. And take advantage of Ira's seat there that he always has reserved in the, I think, sixth or seventh row or press row. So it's um, it's, it's close enough to the hot dog stand that you can do it. Well. I'm right next um, to the laboratory. There right you go. The right, right next to the laboratory. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm inside. Um, so, Ira, uh, I'm sure you're going to watch it on TV. I would guess, right? It's a new broadcast. Yes. You're going to watch it? Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Whose speech are you looking forward to most? Well, I think Vermeil. Yeah. I, I think Vermeil because the tears are going to flow. The Clark, tears are going to flow. That's who I had to, Vermeil. <laughs> the tears are going to flow. I mean, he, he came close, I think, on our broadcast, right? And, yeah. and you know, he's the last speaker. And you know they saved him for last because of that. It's and gonna he be, ain't going six minutes. 
That ain't happening. <laughs> he ain't going six minutes. No, no. And they better have a towel up there for him. But I'm looking forward to him most as well. Uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great induction. Bryant Young will be there. We've had uh, most of the class of 2022 there. But um, Bryant Young, Lori Butler, Tony Baselli. Um, it's going to be a great one. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I just wish it were a little bit later, not at noon. Well, our, one of the reasons I, I wanted to go to Canton was to hear from the families of Cliff Branch and Sam Mills, frankly, um, both of whom will be inducted with a class of 2022, and both of whom, sadly, are deceased. But because we won't be there, um, we wanted to hear from someone who knew Sam and Sam well and was there when he went on the ground floor of the USFL and the NFL. And that's former New Orleans and Kansas City Chiefs GM Bill Kuharik, longtime friend of both of ours. Billy, thanks so much for joining us, and thanks for joining us to talk about Sam. Uh, great to be here, and uh, always like to talk about success stories, and Sam was a great success story. Well, first things first, Bill, what was your reaction when you heard that Sam was elected to the Hall in his last year of eligibility? Well-deserved. He earned it uh, all through his life. And uh, so happy that he didn't have to go beyond that and, and then fight the backup in the senior list. So just really excited for, for the family, Melanie, his wife, and his children. And then everybody who he touched, uh, coaches and players and friends, and everybody that touched Sam. So it, it's uh, the only thing that could make it better, of course, if he was still alive and was able to be at it at his induction. Well, I'm going to be honest with you here. Ira and I were surprised slash shocked, I think, when he was elected and, and, and gratified too, but, but shocked when he was selected because he'd never been a top 10 finalist before. And so here in his last year of eligibility, we didn't see this coming. You had to be at least surprised. Um, I mean, this didn't, this seemed to come out of nowhere. Yeah, but you know, I have a real problem with the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think Clark, maybe you and I've talked to it through the years. The Hall of Fame has turned into the Hall of Many, right. and uh, and I don't, I don't know. I've never been in the room, and so I don't know how they go about it. But I, I year after year, I scratch my head um, um, about some of the people that are, are deserving, but I don't know if they meet the, meet the criteria test. And, and Sam probably falls into that category of, um, you know, some people would say he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame and maybe others uh, say, well, uh, he's one of the Hall of Many. But uh, I think he's certainly, in my mind, haven't been around Sam since 1982, um, through the USFL, through the Saints, uh, and then when he left to go to Carolina to finish his career and then start his, his uh, coaching career. Um, if you take a step back, uh, to me, uh, you know, he's comparable to, and this is high praise, but he's comparable to Mike Singletary. And, uh, uh, he, he was just one of those uh, outside-the-box players that maybe doesn't fit all the dimensions and the height-weight uh, speed 
but he plays the game as well as anybody who's ever played that position, mm. in my opinion. Wow. Bill, you were with uh, Sam in Philly and New Orleans. Yes. Um, yes. And like you said, he doesn't meet, uh, you know, the, the, the standard projections for the position. So, Bill, in your mind, um, what was the key to Mills' success? What was his forte? What was his specialty? Pretty simple. Uh, if you if you look at the big picture, I can remember countless times sitting with him in Philadelphia in the early part of New Orleans. He worked every day, and he put the time in in the off season when there really wasn't these. Uh, regulated, planned off-season programs like there are today. But he would come in, he would do his weight, he would do his conditioning, he would be in the film room. And I said, Sam, you know, do you ever miss? He goes, no, I don't miss. He says, I can't afford to miss. He says, this is my preparation time. And when we get to, when we get to the games, the games are easy for me. He said, I've got to do all this work to get ready. And he always, he didn't have a chip on his shoulders, but he always felt that he, he always had to continue to show that he belonged. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure you guys know, he, he went to Cleveland and, and got cut. He went to Toronto and got cut. Uh, we were starting up. We had him at a, at a tryout. Um, and he wasn't sure he wanted to give it another go. Uh, he was teaching high school, uh, in Jersey and, uh, eventually we got him under contract, got him down to Florida for training. The time was Vince Tobin. And we used to have these, uh, meetings every third or fourth day and every, Every time from the get-go, Vince was rated Sam Mills the number one defensive player. And Jim Wara would chime in, Vince, he's five foot nine. We can't, this is pro football. We can't play with a five foot nine linebacker. And, uh, you know, Vince wouldn't relent. He would not relent. And at the end of training camp, and as we got started for the first regular season, and the games for, were for real, uh, you know, Jim, Jim saw what Vince saw. And, um, so, so that is what I saw, uh, or, uh, Ira, that's what I saw. And, uh, just amazed, uh, his durability, his intelligence on the field. He was a leader in the huddle. Everybody listened to him. Even the, even the, it was clear that in New Orleans, where it was even more of does he belong? than the USFL, uh, after maybe four or five games, it was clear that he was, he was the leader of the defense. And we had a lot of veterans on those teams in the late eighties. And, uh, you know, and we had, we had one of the greatest group of linebackers at, in the history of, of the national football league with, uh, Pat Swilling and Ricky Jackson and Vaughn Johnson and him. 
you know, those guys all went to all went to one Pro Bowl at starters, which will never never happen before, and will never happen again. So, um, very impactful. It was very impactful. And as good a player as he was on the field, and you've you've heard this a lot from people, as good a player as he was on the field is as genuine a person that he was off the field. Really so soft spoken, um, uh, and and just good family man. I mean, I, I can't. I could go on and on. And and so as we approach this induction, so I'm I'm laying this out from now that maybe. You guys look like he came out of nowhere, um, and and maybe he has, but with all this background, you can see how he is there to be inducted in the Hall of Fame. And if you go, if you go and watch tape, if you go and watch tape uh, through the years, you'll see that on tape. Are you going to Canton this weekend, Bill? I am not, and I'm very disappointed I'm not able to make it because I work for Dick Vermeil at Kansas City, and, you know, I was my uh, my time around Sam. Uh, it, it just didn't work out in the schedule here as much as I try to make it work with with what's going on, uh, this pre-wedding and and things are happening right now. So, but I'll be watching it uh, on Saturday for sure. I was going to ask you about Vermeil, Bill. Uh, he had already turned around two franchises, and you get him in KC, and you guys had a lot of success together. Bill, uh, can you explain simply what was special about Vermeil in terms of uh, uh, of transforming franchises uh, quickly? Yeah, uh, he has this knack of every of. If you go back and look at the Eagles, the Rams, and the and the Chiefs, it's the third year is the magical year. Uh, and the third year that we were in Kansas City, uh, we were thirteen and three in the regular season. And uh, I, I think Dick is a Pied Piper uh, with everybody, uh, people in the building. Uh, players that play for him, coaches that coach for him. Uh, he treats everyone fairly. Uh, he's very, very loyal to everyone around him. If if you make the team and you're on his coaching staff or you're in the personnel department, he's going to be loyal to the end while you're working with him. Uh, very hard worker, as we all know. I mean, he worked himself out of the league because of the way he approached things when he was the Eagles and, and then came back and won a Super Bowl. And I think, personally, I think he made a hasty decision to leave the Rams right after he won the Super Bowl. And then, you know, he came came to Kansas City and, uh, you know, he did a great job uh, with the players that were there. And then we acquired, you know, Trent Green and – Willie Rofe and uh, Priest Holmes and um, uh, Jared Allen. So, so you know, um, he is uh, a coach that that uh, when you know the old John Hausman when he speaks, everybody listens. Yeah, Bill, he's the last speaker 
on Saturday for the class of 2022. What do you think the chances are that he keeps that speech to six or seven minutes? Uh, not not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. Not going to happen. <laughs> I think that's happen. why they put him last. Because sure I think they is. looked at the speakers and they said, who's the guy that is least likely to go on? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think he'll – I mean, you know, let's face it. I mean, he, he's going to have a bunch of people from each organization – Plus his UCLA people, plus his, you know, coaching colleagues. I mean, they're they're going to be everybody's going to be there for him. You know. Oh sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and 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 we we had talked earlier. We had talked earlier about before we went on here about Carl Peterson, who's a friend of the show here. He's going to be there as well, and he has a role in both Sam Mills and Dick Vermeil. So it's kind of like the Carl Peterson class of twenty twenty two. Yeah, it, it's uh, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm sure that. You know, I mean, Carl put together the USFL stars, and we won two out of three championships, and we're in, we're all in all three championships. And then, you know, he rebuilt the, the Chiefs for 20 years. You know, we he didn't get to the promised land as as far as winning a Super Bowl, but simply but simply put, they were competitive with Marty Schottenheimer and and Gunther and and uh, Dick Vermeil. And Herm, uh, you know, we went to the playoffs one year with Herm Edwards. So uh, consistency, um, and that's another guy, Carl, that's very loyal. Uh, Obviously, he was on Dick's staff at uh, UCLA and Philadelphia. And uh, I'm sure some of that uh, loyalty passed off on him. He's loyalty to his employees and the people he hired. I feel very fortunate to have been able to work for him twice. I was coaching college football when the USFL started and my dad had just passed away in 81 and my mom was struggling in Philly. So I, I, I left the coaching job and moved back and was fortunate enough. Carl hired me um, to the stars and then very fortunate that Jim Fink, the president and GM of the Saints gave me an opportunity to get in the NFL and then, after spending 15 years there, went back to Kansas. I mean, went to Kansas City with Carl for another nine. So it it, uh, it, it was a great experience with with both Carl and Dick. Bill, I want to ask you about uh, one of the players you mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago. Um, and I'm not trying to claim he's a Hall of Famer, Bill, because he probably didn't do it long enough. Bill, you saw this guy at his peak. And I'm talking about Priest Holmes. Bill, um, I don't think most people realize that in three straight years, he topped 2,000 yards from scrimmage three years in a row. The all-time record, uh, not even years in a row, uh, is four. Nobody's ever had more than four. And Holmes had three, and then he had that neck injury. Bill, how special was Priest Holmes, and what kind of legacy could he have had if he didn't get hurt? Well, you know, I'm going to tell an interesting story here. Um, he uh, he got over a thousand yards. I'm not sure the exact number. It might have been over 1,100 yards at Baltimore, and right. became a free agent. And uh, I can remember sitting in the meeting. We were talking. We were looking for a running back uh, when Dick had just come on board, and we kind of narrowed it down to Priest and Tiki Barber. And uh, 
you know, Kiki was much more known than Priest. And, you know, coaches are creatures of habit. So the questions you have to answer in these personnel meetings is you are touting. Um, and we had a guy named Dick Curl who worked in the pro department. I was the, the pro director at the time. And we were, and Dick was really high on priest as I was, but, but really was out in front of me. And, uh, so, so in your conversations, you got to, You've got to talk about why, why priests and, and not Tiki. And both of us felt, and, and, and so did Al Saunders. You know, Al wanted, would, was happy with either of them. What are you going to do in your offense? Can priests do these things that you're going to do in the offense? And priests could. So could Tiki. Catch the ball out of the backfield run on the perimeter, run inside, vision, balance. Um, and we had a great offensive line. I mean, we had Willie Rofe at left tackle, we had Brian Waters. We had uh, – um, I'm drawing a blank. John Tate at right tackle, Will Shields at the other guard. And uh, Grunhardt, Tim Grunhardt at center, and Tony right. Gonzalez. I mean, we we had some offensive weapons, and um, and you know, obviously Tiki was going to be more expensive than Priest, and uh, we went all the way up to the draft and and uh, finally got him signed. So, getting back to Ira, your question, uh, this guy would go out pregame. Um, maybe you guys. Would seen it on highlights or anything. Uh, and, and, you know, real early in pregame and, and go through uh, plays uh, on his own and visualize that, visualize the holes. Um, so he, he's another one like Sam that, uh, you know, he felt he got pushed out of Baltimore and uh, because he felt he was good enough to be the, the back. And, you know, uh, so he had something to prove, too. And um, like you said, you gave the statistics, Ira. Uh, we were a good perimeter team because Willie and John Tate and our guards could pull and run, which is very rare that you could have even even Grunhard could pull and, and, and move to the perimeter. And, and that just gives you such a big advantage when you see Willie Rowe coming around the corner on a, on a little corner and, you know, you get the seal inside on the backer and then priest, priest kicks his way. So, uh, I think he's deserving. I really do. Uh, now it's kind of be the same debate in that room with, uh, you know, what has he done? His career was not longevity. He did get the, uh, actually got a hip injury, Ira. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just a matter of when you put the numbers down, like you said, uh, it kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? Last thing for me, Bill, thanks so much for your time. Um, Bill, we had a ruling come down. We had uh, quotes from Commissioner Goodell uh, about Stephen Ross um, and tampering. 
Bill, you, you've had, got a long legacy in, in this game um, from the front office. So my question is simple, Bill. Is this a big deal or does it go on all the time or is it getting worse in terms of tampering uh, around the whole league? I think it's a big deal. Um, I was kind of surprised um, that they didn't come down a little harder on Ross than they did um, because of the other things that were surrounding the organization. I know you right. can only rule on one thing, but um, tampering goes on. But but who? I don't. I don't think it's a player picking the phone up and saying, "I want to play for you." I, I think it's the agent. I think it's the club. Uh, you know, but the club shouldn't be doing these things. The rules are are pretty black and white that you cannot dialogue or talk about or talk to or publicly acknowledge a player under contract or a coach under contract. But as, as we, as everyone on this call knows, this has been going on for a while, but I just think it's, it's getting worse. And uh, they've got to get their house in my opinion. And I've been out of it for five years. So I'm sure people are going to say, well, what's he know? He's been gone for a long time now, but as a, guy who worked in the NFL for 30 years and, and now is an outsider looking in, they've got to, they've got to get their house in order. Now, if that means putting more fines, longer suspensions, more draft choices, there's got to come a point to where we don't want to do these things because the penalty is too great. And I don't think it's there yet. And I know the commissioner has a tough job to do because he's working for the 32 owners. And uh, I think what they did by going outside and, and taking some of the uh, burden off of, off of the commissioner's plate to have an outside appointee make decisions uh, on personal policy, et cetera, a player personal policy. But I think they got to take it a, a, another step farther and figure out how to get their own house in order. Because uh, I'm always one with what Herman Edwards always said. You know, he always used to tell the team that, you know, the jersey you have is yours for a short time. The shield's going to go on forever. You've got to protect the shield. And they have to protect the shield. And, and I, don't, I, I think they're, they've got away from that right now. They, they've got to get back somehow, some way. There's a bunch of smart people in the NFL that can sit down and figure it out um, and, and, and get it to where this isn't the conversation that's going on as we're getting ready for the 2022 season. That's, that's my feel. We're speaking to Bill Koharik on the eye test for two. And Billy, speaking of getting back, I want to get back to what's going on in Canton this weekend. That's the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction. Uh, Jim Mora who coached Sam Mills in the USFL and with the New Orleans Saints, where you were, both places, called him, quote, the best player I ever coached, unquote. Where does Sam Mills rank among the players you were associated with? Wow, good question. Um, well, certainly right up there. Um, you know, uh, now, uh, the... You know, certainly 
uh, that's high touting for Jim. And, you know, Jim's not a guy to throw out accolades. He's, he's very thoughtful in what he says. Um, and and I, 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 uh, I can see how he would said that. Um, I would think Sam's one, uh, Willie Rofe, Tony Gonzalez, uh, Priest Holm, um, you know, uh, Vaughn Johnson, Swilling, Ricky Jackson. I've been fortunate around, uh, fortunate to be around a lot of really good players. So, but Sam would, Sam would be right in the discussion with those other ones I mentioned. Well, and you I'm sure I'm leaving him. somebody out. <laughs> Yeah, what? well, you compared him to Singletary, so you must have felt the world of him. Well, I I compared him to Singletary from uh, Thatcher. You know, uh, Singletary was was six foot. Uh, let's uh, agree on that. He might have been five eleven, but uh, but they played the game the same way. They were very aggressive. They were both in a a, a tackling position. They didn't. You know, you hear a lot of coaches says, well, he can't bend his knees. He can't play the position. You know, he plays too tall. He plays too stiff. These two guys were in a natural breakdown position. Um, and Sam was so instinctive and, like, was so prepared for blocking schemes, uh, formations, uh, where the backs were, how far the tight end was split. If he had to get to get a little depth to get down the seep and uh, seam and coverage. Um, and, and, and the styles to me were the same. It's almost like, you know, Singletary played when he played and we might never see another guy like Singletary. And now here comes Sam right behind him. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that Sam is better than Mike Singletary. Right. But he is on the same street, in my opinion. And so that those kind of styles of play, um, you know, I can remember him. We were playing the Generals, uh, and Herschel Walker came barreling through, and he stood him right up and put him right on his back. Um, and he did that in the NFL as well. Great, great tackler. Um, and And – some of the hits that Sam would put on players reminded me of what Singletary did in his heyday. And, and last question for you. What, what do you miss most about him? I mean, he's no longer with us and hasn't been for years, but what do you miss most about Sam Mills? I always, I always, you know, coming across him and uh, when, when we were uh, after he got out of playing and coaching, obviously we played them twice a year. So we would, we would spend time pregame talking uh, and then I'd see him at at the senior bowl and see him at the combine it was you know he, it was always it always the conversation would always go back to the, the stars and then the saints and it was almost like hey we had good times and you know and, and so I, I, re, I just think that I from afar as you look at the big picture of a guy who by right shouldn't have played in the national football league because coaches don't really give an opportunity to someone in the physical stature of Sam, but he, the USFL came around at the perfect time for him. He played 
three years and was one of the stars in the USFL in a league with a lot of stars. Yeah. Jim Kelly, Steve Young, Reggie White, you know, on and on and on. And I think that gave him a platform to say, okay, I've proven here. Now let's go to the next step, which is the NFL. And I know I can do the same thing when he did. So that, that I, I was very, I admired him for his make, you know, he could have easily said, Hey, I'm just, I've had it. I had two chances. Um, you know, this league, who knows if this league's going to last, uh, how long it's going to last. And uh, I'm going to get on, I'm going to get on with my career as a teacher. But, uh, you know, there was something there that gave him enough fortitude, enough challenge to say, you know what, I'm going to give it one more go. And he did. But I think the three years in the USFL certainly gave him the platform to jump to the NFL. And then once he got to the NFL and he realized he could do it, the sky was the limit. Bill Eric, thanks for the time. Great to catch up with you. It's been way too long. Thanks, Billy. Thanks, Clark. Ira, good to thanks, talk Bill. with you. I haven't met you, but good to talk with you. And maybe our paths will cross someday. And thanks for letting me be on your show. Thanks, Bill. Th thank you, Bill. That was former USFL and NFL Bill Coherick. And Ira, that's high praise when he talks about Sam Mills in the same conversation as Mike Singletary. I know what he's saying. He's not better than Mike Singletary, but I thought that was an interesting analogy. I think so. And I think, you know, that intangible about Mills Clark. Yeah. I think maybe he made everybody around him better. I mean, he was an inspirational player. Yeah. And, and you're around a quarterback like that. Honestly, the, the intangibles it makes yeah. everyone around him better. Um, but it seems to me sort of the same sort of thing. You go, he doesn't fit the prototype five nine linebacker. Well, he made it. Brady didn't fit it either. I mean, what do you run? Like uh, they could time him with an hourglass at the at the, the combine. And, and, but, and I'm an, I'm a five seven sports writer. Uh, clock and and you made it. And you made it. You know, you you made it. Congratulations. <laughs> they love you, Ira. They love you. They love you in Tampa. They love you at the hall. That, though, is a signal that it's our I was there segment. And you were somewhere at some point. I don't know where you can tell us. I was, Clark. And this is in honor of our guest, because unfortunately, Clark, this was a game and a day that Bill Kuharik would love to forget. 1987 season, strike shortened to 15 games. Remember it. There I am, January 3rd, 1988. Superdome. The Saints are going to play the Vikings. Now, Clark, the Saints were three and three, and they won their last nine games. They finished 12 and three. It was a 15 game schedule. Wow. They're, fa they're favored by seven over the nine and seven Vikings. Clark, final score Saints 10, Vikings 44. Ooh. Game was over in about 12 minutes, Clark. Six turnovers for New Orleans, 149 total yards. And here's the quote from your buddy Jim Mora. Jim Mora, here's the greatest. I love here's it. Here's the quote. <laughs> we picked a bad time to have a bad game. <laughs> and, Clark, just to follow up, the following week, these little Vikings with Wade Wilson and Anthony Carter – they go to Candlestick. It was a game you might have been to, Clark. And they upset the 49ers 
36 to 24, the first home playoff loss for Bill Walsh and Clark. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe they benched Montana. They did. They did. Stevie Uncle. Yeah, Stevie Uncle came in. Yeah, absolutely. They did. Uh, That was the replacement year. That's the year of the replacement players. And I remember well because I was in San Diego and they started eight and one because their replacement team was really good. They went three and over. They started eight and one. They're going to make the playoffs, right? Uh, no, no, they lost the last six games. They didn't oh, make it. Didn't oh. make it. Um, anyway, I know you were asking for final thoughts, and and I do want to hear your final thoughts because we get them every week uh, when we're not on vacation. But uh, we're not on vacation anymore. So what do you got? All right, I'm going to kick it off, Clark, and I want to get your take on this too, Clark. We, we we use the word legends. You know, we use it all the time. Yeah, when legends. we're talking about legends. you, me, and Ian. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we do. So. Clark, this has been a tough few days in the legend business. Yeah. I'll start with Vin Scully. Um, As good as what he did as anybody that we can imagine. But, Clark, the guy I want to focus on for one minute is Bill Russell. Absolutely. And, Clark, if you're 25 years old now and you're an NBA fan, you might say Bill who. And, Clark, if if you say Bill who, you're not an NBA fan. You're right. You're absolutely right. You're not an NBA fan. If that's like if you're a jazz aficionado, you don't know who Louis Armstrong is. You can't do that. Um, now, Clark, just personally, I got a friend who works for the Hollywood Reporter, and he's asked me over the last few years to do some advanced obits, sports obits, you know, guys that are in their 70s and 80s. He called me three months ago, and, it, you know, they pay me. And he said, Ira, I got one more for you. Can you do Bill Russell? Now, I don't know if he knew that Russell was in poor health, but I did it. I spent three days, and I did it. They ran it in the Hollywood Reporter with my byline on Sunday. And, Clark, I'll just give you a taste. This was my lead. Bill Russell, the intimidating center, who rejected layups and bigotry with equal authority, passed away Sunday. Uh, the guy is a monumental figure, Clark, monumental. Absolutely. It's funny. We had a conversation once, and maybe Ian can appreciate this because he didn't see Bill Russell play, but he certainly knows of him being in the Boston area. But we were talking one time around a, uh, it was a group of sports writers around a table. If you had to draft a, a team of NBA players at any time of their careers, draft them today, who would your first pick be? So in other words, you could say Larry Bird, you know, in his third year or whatever. So if they're all like 24, 25, 30, whatever, you could draft any player at the prime of his career. Who would your first pick be? And I think most people would say Michael Jordan. And I and Nick Canepa, who's from the San Diego Union Tribune, said Bill Russell would be my number one pick. I went, Bill Russell, why? And we had the same answer. Because you'd never lose he never lose. He won national championships at USF, USF. He was on the Olympic gold medal team, won 11 championships in 13 years of the Celtics. He wouldn't let his team lose. A great figure, dominating figure. Um, Ira, I do have one problem with that story that you're talking about, the, the Hollywood uh, reporter. Does that mean you've gone Hollywood on us? <laughs> if, if the pay's right, I'm, I'm, I'm off the la-la land, Clark. There you are. Okay, well, the, it's always the pay's got to be right. Hey, listen, I want to mention something, a final thought for you, Ira, because, again, sorry, Ian, you're kind of excluded from this conversation because it, it happened before you were born. But, Ira, a significant, significant anniversary this past Monday, 
August 1st, 1971, Madison Square Garden. You remember what happened? Could have been uh, the Bangladesh concert. Bingo! Concert Bingo. for Bangladesh. That's right. Organized by George Harrison, featuring uh, Eric Clapton, uh, Bob Dylan, uh, Leon Russell, That's Billy right. Preston, Badfinger, Ringo, Robbie Shankar, and, and a cast of others. Great album. Um, great concert and really kind of the, the first concert of that magnitude and sort of led to the the Live Aid, but um, also had that three LP live album, which was magnificent. Yes. And every time I hear that song, Bangladesh, I go, God almighty, what a great song. What a great concert and what a great cause. Anyway, hey, Clark, I, uh, I Clark, you'd remember. Clapton was strung out. He was strung out on that concert. He, he could barely stand up. He could barely stand up. Wow. Yeah. If I were yeah. there, I couldn't stand up either. Too many people. That <laughs> would be strung out. Anyway, uh, that's going to do next it. Week we'll talk, uh, next week, we'll talk about the Springsteen ticket fiasco. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll weigh in I, on that, Clark. I just was reading about it last night. A lot of people up in arms. Apparently, you are in uh, in Florida as well, right? Absolutely. They, they, okay. They're starting a tour in, in Tampa. It's the first oh, really? stop. really? The first stop. Well, Ian's probably there because he's making the big bucks. Ian just said Bruce who? <laughs> Pretty quiet. By the way, by the way, you know, for final yeah. thoughts, Ian showed me and showed you something before this podcast began. It was a golf ball. And Ian, what was the significance of that golf ball? Well, it just happened to be my, my first and likely only hole-in-one in my golf career. So Woo! I naturally oh, got a case, baby. engraved it, and uh, now it'll sit and collect dust, dust on my desk. Well done. Have you heard from the LIV people yet? Not yet, but uh, just to let you know, my phone is on. It works, and there's plenty of slots for voicemail. So if you can't catch you me, please leave a voicemail. 1-800-DIAL-IAN. Okay, that's going to do it for today. But if you want to listen to this or any other I Test for Two podcast, just go to fullpresscoverage.com, click on podcast, and go to the I Test for Two. And if you don't, well, join us next week right here on the I Test for Two. Thanks for listening.